As we continue the journey to unravel the world of software bill of materials, I wanted to talk to a technologist who had been there from the start and could shed some light on the background of the movement. The search for such a person led me to the South German state of Bavaria, where I found Max Huber. Max has been a contributor to the SPDX project for upwards of eight years, and he helped build some of the first tools to create and process the format. SPDX, or Software Package Data Exchange from the Linux Foundation, has become one of the leading formats for describing software bill of materials since its inception in 2010. The primary goal of the format is to simplify and standardize the exchange of information among software developers, suppliers, and users. On today's show, we go behind the scenes with an engineer and learn a bit more about the technical side of SPDX and gain insight into some of the upcoming features of SPDX 3.0. Welcome back to DeBaugh. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Max Huber from TNG. He's a contributor for the SPDX project. How are you doing today, Max? Oh, I'm fine. I'm perfect. I'm happy. I had been talking to Kate Stewart from the Linux Foundation and SPDX, and she was mentioning that I should talk to you, especially around some of the contributions that you made into the tooling that we use on a day-to-day basis. A lot of us use this to interact with SPDX. I wanted to get your, your take on a lot of this stuff and ask you a little bit about your involvement in the project. So how did you get involved in all this contribution? Well, my first contribution was seven to eight years ago where I implemented the SPDX input and output to Phosology, so serialization, deserialization. Yeah, that was the first use of SPDX 2.0 at that time. 2.0, wow. <laughs> so that was just before it went out to be an ISO a standard, is that correct? Yeah, I think even four, three to four years before the ISO transition. And rather the state after the first big refactoring, the first big rework of the standard. What attracted you to SPDX? Was it inventory management, supply chain? What brought you into the fold? Consulting. I was a consultant contractor to work with PHP, but I enjoyed the topic and I stayed with the topic. Open source lets you continue to contribute and to work with the project with the community. So was the inventory that they had to provide or what was the use case around it? You can invest a lot of work to scan a project or to scan a, a dependency. And you want to share these results. You could try to share a dump from the database, but SPDX is the natural format for that. You do the work and you export SPDX and the next person then can import the file and validate it and even compare it to another version of the same project. You were using this quite a long time ago. There mustn't have been a lot of tools. Is that why you got involved with developing some of the Python tooling? What kind of language came first or implementation to deal with these things? The first implementation was without a library, building it by hand. So that's the not so nice experience. After that, I think a few years ago, I created a Haskell library for SPX. I think no one except for me is using it, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Java tools are very prominent. I use them in SW360, which is a software catalog application. 
They are the natural connection point to SPDX ecosystem. And Python tools now as a very easy to script language and also used in a lot of compliance tools. That's one of the things that I was talking to you a little bit about was developing a library in Rust. Nice to see SPDX in so many ecosystems. But yeah, the full-fledged SPDX document library is missing. What's your biggest challenge with dealing with software bill of materials and communicating or transferring oh. these back and forth? The biggest hurdle I see is that the formats like SPDX and CBX provide a framework tool in which you can express the dependency tree, but you still have a lot of freedom how to express stuff, especially SPDX is very flexible in the generic tree that it allows to build. So you need to make many assumptions in how do you represent a Docker image? How do you represent layers in a Docker image? And how do you link packages and files that are contained in that? All these decisions are made differently by different tool implementers and different users. Even if you get SPDX document describing a Docker image, it's not easy to just consume that automatically. You need to still treat it as a SPDX document generated by tool X with presumptions Y. That makes at least the automatic usage harder. That's one of the biggest complexities that are still around. They define a language but not specify yet how to express specific use cases. SPDX 3.0 is coming out. Can you give us any insight into what that's going to do and how that's going to change? Because it's pretty functionally different. If the major version bump, number one, which indicates there's going to be potentially breaking changes. I just complained about flexibility, about too, being too flexible, that it makes it hard to ingest being very agnostic to ecosystems and being possible to extend. That's one of the main features. The next main feature is that it reworks the core model in a very consistent and foundational way that allows the data to be very easy to consume and to link across the whole ecosystem. So you can reference SPX notes from other documents and build a large knowledge base. Um, in the big picture, all the files are one big graph. Three emphasizes on that and improves on that by being more streamlined and more modular and more consistent. Looking at the lineage of SPDX, there's a lot of different use cases for it. And hardware is one of the big things. There's the automotive industry that's using it as well for interchange of data. So it's not just software. That's one of the misconceptions that people have about SPDX or even Cyclone DX is there's more than just the supply chain. What would you say to somebody who says, oh, SPDX and software bill materials is just software composition analysis in a standardized format? Software comp composition analysis is post-mortem analysis that can be part of an audit. A good way how to represent that is a software bill of material, the output. So yeah, that's, there's this link. But it can be so much more. It can be way more integrated. If you're a link source SBOMs to build SBOMs, you can track the whole supply chain and you can automatically hand that down to the next user that receives your artifact. 
and thus already has all the information making post-mortem analysis or scanning for hashes hopefully unnecessary so that all the information, all the data is already there. Still, it might still be valid to do some sanity checking and checking for snippets and checking that there's nothing unexpected. But having consistent and automatically generated software material documents just solves the issue. Yeah, there's multiple places where these things get created. Software composition analysis and the vulnerability scanning and the things that people are thinking about with SBOMs is a specific use case. It's not the only use case. There's been conversation about building software. We have a software bill of materials that gets generated that talks about the contents of what's going to be built. And then we have the vulnerabilities generated and it's, it could be VAX, it could be put into whatever structure you wanted. And then there's the build tools that run things and then the infrastructure that it runs on in production and potentially the API endpoints and definition of what those are. It can be used anywhere, I guess you could say. But when you talk to hardware manufacturers, they're like, that doesn't work with firmware. And that doesn't work with the hardware inventory. SPDX can take care of a lot of this by defining the structure. But when we talk about that flexibility, do you see another kind of document or structure or instructions that have to follow that document to tell people how to adjust it and use it? I saw a document by Kate recently where she, together with others, discussed a list of types of bombs. So there's a build bomb, there's a software bomb, there's a runtime bomb, describing these use cases and the requirements and the assumptions related to that. Maybe the S-bomb, the document that is sent around, can say, I'm a bomb of that kind and I have these assumptions in mind. And furthermore, it might be helpful and necessary to even say, I'm a, a composition describing bomb document for Docker image. And you can find the structure in the following node. Maybe such standards would be helpful to develop. That makes sense. It's almost like saying SPDX is like a document format. You have Microsoft Word format, which is different from GDoc format, and you can translate them back and forth with each other, but it's almost an abstraction. It's how you structure the file format itself versus what the intent of the file format is for. I think I've seen that document, but you've been involved with software bill of materials for eight years now. You've seen tooling develop from the ground up, from nothing. What's with all the hype today? Why are people just starting to pay attention? What's happening in Europe to fuel a lot of this software bill of material conversation? Here in Europe, we have a great community of open source officers from companies that just started talking to each other a few years ago. Some of them became the Open Chain Reference Tooling Group. There's the To Do Group, which is obviously very active in that realm, and also other efforts. Open source just motivates to use open source and be open source if you need to handle open source. And that just caused this growth in community. Do you think that some of the supply chain vulnerabilities and, and breaches, and of course we got the infamous log for J, Artbleed, and 
you name it, do you think that that had anything to do with people getting a bit of a spark to go ahead and start looking into these things? I think that caused a push, but I always was more on the compliance side instead of the security side. I'm the compliance guy that tells you, hey, that's good to understand what you contain and all of that. And I think there was a push on the security side. But I wasn't on the bleeding edge of that push. I was seeing, hey, there are also others now liking the data I generate. And they are happy that we can all exchange that. But it's at least in my small sub-community that I'm seeing, it's not the predominant push, except for within the companies where they all are working, they might get that push from somewhere. But security, it's prominent, it's visible, it's obviously a reason, but it's its not talked about that often. It's more so a more pleasant push from somewhere. So it's something that people are just doing it from a quality perspective almost. The environment in America around it, it's very much, hey, we all have to do this because the executive order said so. And all that the executive order really says is departments can request a software bill of materials from you before they agree to purchase it. Just because they request it doesn't mean you have to give it to them. And all this ambiguity comes out of it. So there's this buzz around it. Is it security that's pushing these things? You're talking about compliance, which could be part of security. Is it engineering? And as an organization, why would I use this thing? Why would I develop software bill of materials or produce them today if there was no executive order? For the companies, it's security, which is the big thing, the big motivating factor for, for the companies. There are big numbers next to potential security issues. That's how I think from top down, they generate a push towards, hey, we, we need to understand where we are vulnerable. And if there is a potential issue, we need to understand where might we be affected. So I see that push. The compliance aspect is financially, I mean, it's lower, but still very important. It's not sexy. It's something that is boring. You're thinking through the positive dependency and realizing that there is some way how Maven can pull JavaScript and uh, then there are all these neat edge cases. That's probably like witchcraft to somebody, right? You're telling them about this and a lot of people are going to glaze over and say, okay, I need it for the government to actually make my sale, to have this customer. <laughs> it's interesting. When you're using these things, you're reporting vulnerabilities. So there's going to be a way to attach a VEX. The VEX having the contextual information if something's vulnerable or not. I got so many questions about VEX because it's going to be manual. Machines can't automate an interpretation of these compensating controls that are out there. Let's say you have a list of vulnerabilities with your software components that you're using. You provide this to a customer and the customer scans it for vulnerabilities and says, hey, you got five critical vulnerabilities. You need to fix those tomorrow before I buy your software. How does that go? <laughs> this is one of those complete edge cases of the practicality of using a software bill of materials especially when you have vulnerability information attached to it or someone generates vulnerability information. What happens when you're providing this document and someone gets it and says, hey, this is a bad piece of software. 
let's say it's Microsoft Word. What do you do? What do you see happening there? I see a lot of chaos. I see a lot of stressed developers that try to act fast. Developers that get this information, get the bit of material and start trying to understand, hey, do we really have this transitive dependency? What is it used for? Then starting to try to dig through the dependency tree. Maybe it's this is still encoded in the dependency tree. Maybe the bit of material was generated by a different service in the same company and the developers just were hacking and a different service generated this bit of material and now they are confronted with this problem. I see a lot of complexity, a lot of work trying to find that source of that and then trying to upgrade to latest and hope that it's green and trying to push that out. Is it technical debt? Is it even reachable from a traceability perspective? There's hygiene that has to be thought about. It comes back into the software world of these best practices that we've always Mm -hmm. talked about with DevOps for the past 14 years. I think SAP at some point developed an source tool that is a vulnerability database for vulnerabilities in Java specifically. They linked the patch that fixed a vulnerability to the vulnerability. Then they did static code analysis. If any path touched code that was touched in the patch. So if you are before the patch, can you reach code that is touched by the patch? And if not, you are not affected. So they had some static and dynamic code analysis to find if someone is affected automatically. But I'm not sure what the state of this project is. Being around these things from a technical basis, part of projects that are using these and implementing process to interchange information, where is this going to be in five years? I hope that, that the SBOM formats gets a sufficient level of support and maturity to be natively integrated with most of the build tools. And that also tools that compose stuff like if you build a Docker image, that there's a way how the Docker image understands I just package a char file in that Docker image and that char file had done material that all this ugly stuff that is right now hard, all these disconnects between build systems and disconnects between all the machine understandable ecosystems that somehow they are fixed and there's glue between them and that the composition of a bigger SPDX or CDX or SBOM file can be better, can be automated, can be improved. That is the technical side where I hope for improvements and for the ecosystem to catch up. But on the other side, there could be a huge database of all of the information, all the universe of materials, maybe as a I don't know, a big database or something that's running locally in companies just to track all the assets, track how they were built from where they built all this information, have that consistent and available and discoverable. Right now, the software bill of materials feel like I need to provide them. I provided them. Some company is requesting them since they need to head them further, but I'm not sure if they are really leveraging if they are just storing them and handing them to the next customer or if they are actually 
um, gaining knowledge from them and linking them together. And I think there will be a lot that can happen and that can improve and that can make the whole ecosystem better. This episode of DeBalm was created by me, DJ Shaleen, with help from sound engineer Pokey Wan and executive producer Mark Miller. The show is recorded in Golden, Colorado, and is part of the Sourced Podcast Network. We use Captivate.fm as our distribution platform and Descript for spoken text editing. You can subscribe to DeBalm on your favorite podcast platform. We're going to be releasing a new episode every Tuesday at 9 a.m. I'll see you next week as we continue to diffuse DeBalm.